Well, I don't know about you. I, uh, I find myself rather intrigued um, with um, last words of people. And I, I came across um, uh, several people that you probably have heard of and their last words that they spoke on earth. For instance, um, Edgar Allan Poe is recorded as having said, Lord, help my poor soul, or Princess Di, as she was dying, said, my God, what happened? Or how about, um, I like this one, General Sedgwick of the Union um, during the Civil War, 1864, is recorded as saying, they couldn't hit an elephant at this di- Or um, Vincent van Gogh, the, the painter, had um, uh, some uh, issues, mental, uh, mental issues, and had gotten out of um, an asylum, and he was a young man, about 35 years old, and um, two days after a self-inflicted gunshot wound, uh, lay dying, and he said, um, this sadness is forever. Jesus, last words on earth, among them, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now for those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, uh, we know that our last words are somehow tied up in who Jesus is. And whatever they are, they, um, they are not going to be despondent. They won't be this sadness is forever. The real issue that I want us to think about today is what we were thinking before we came to church today. Now, that's, that's kind of bookended, isn't it? We're going from last words to most recent words. A lot of the times when we come to worship, we don't, um, we don't give it too much thought, saying, oh, what am I really thinking about? <laughs> what, um, uh, how is my heart before the Lord? What do I need? What do I want God to do? Where am I? Will I get anything out of this? Uh, some of you may be here this morning thinking, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get past this deep sorrow, this sadness. I, 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 feel, uh, I feel depressed. I, I feel that my life and my family, my marriage is in tension. And I, I don't know what I need, but I need God to give me some kind of encouragement uh, to let me know that there is light somewhere down the way. Maybe today, um, some of you have, have a fear that um, uh, whether it is, um, you know, self-made, uh, if it is your fear, it, it, it's real. It's not a pretend fear, but it may be paralyzing you so that you cannot take the next steps to get beyond the fear of what other people think of you, of, um, and maybe it has to do with... Um, 
some unchartered medical diagnoses that uh, has been given, and you and you wonder what is going to be next. And it may you're afraid that uh, this just absorbing fear is so overwhelming that you're not sure you're ready to come to worship today. Um, or maybe you need to be confronted by a holy God. Maybe what you're experiencing is that you know you are a sinner and you're wondering whether God has the capacity to forgive your sin. Maybe you've taken it to him before and you're still dealing with the guilt of the sin. You're like those disciples, wannabes at least, who said, Lord, we believe, help out our unbelief. Maybe you're sensing an inability to receive as well as believe that God is able. And you need a fresh blowing of the Spirit of God across your life to convince you that God is for real and that His forgiveness in Christ is certain and available. Uh, Some of you are tired of um, eating stale bread and eating uh, time-dated food. You're needing some new spiritual food to chew on, to, uh, to move towards something fresh from the Spirit of God. Some opportunity to drink some water from the well that springs up into everlasting life. Some refreshing stream to come into your life. But I, I rather sense that um, you are all here by divine appointment. I am. And I don't mean just because Herb called and asked if I would speak. (laughs) I believe that that God, who has his angels keeping guard of all of the calendars that we ever come up with, has appointed for us to meet today together. You're here because God has orchestrated in your heart a desire to meet him at this time in this place. So when Jesus was saying, I commend my spirit unto you, he knew where he was going, and he didn't shy away from it. But most of us have problem from this point, getting from where we are today, to where we can just release ourselves into Christ and realize that that his confidence in facing the end is is enough for us. If we're, if we're willing to trust Him and His love and His steadfast um, grace, that it's enough. And that He can get us from here to the last. Now, I want us to, uh, to have the same hunger that the psalmist uh, expressed in Psalm 42 first two verses, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As we, um, as we think about what God has for us today, I want us to turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Some of you may know that there's a a middle verse in the Bible in this passage, 118, verse 8. 
Um, it's a pretty good middle verse. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. <laughs> you know, that could be your hallmark. Say, I, I'm, you're right here on the watershed of, uh, of scriptures. But there's a lot to this uh, passage. And um, I would like to draw your attention to the way that this uh, psalm begins and ends. It's very similar. It is, um, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. That's the way it begins, that's the way it ends. But this is a psalm of ascent. It's one of the passages of Scripture that is called the Hallel. In Hebrew, it is Psalm, beginning Psalm 113 through 118, and it was a part of the Passover readings every year when Passover came, that they would read the Hallel. And so Psalm 118 was the last psalm to be read. Now, notice the way this begins. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. And let those of the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. Does that sound repetitive? <laughs> it's really antiphonal. Uh, antiphonal is where you have at least two voices who respond. It's like the equivalent of responsive reading here. And so what I want you to do is to do the response. Okay? Let's try this. Notice that when he says to the, to the house of Aaron, who do you think that is? The priests. What is he doing? Well, the psalm writer is going up to the house of God. He's going to to make the ascent before God and before Israel. And so he is calling all of Israel to worship and to praise and to adoration, to exaltation. So your part is his love endures forever. Let me reread that, but you supply the missing part here, okay? Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, yeah, That's it. Uh, I could dismiss you, send you home, and say, Okay, what did you get? If you leave today saying, His love endures forever. You've got it. That's the main point. His love endures forever. Now, there's a rather remarkable word, uh, the word for love here. It's a Hebrew word. It is difficult to translate with one word into English. It is the Hebrew word kesed. And it is uh, probably the closest the Hebrew language comes to the word grace, the equivalent in the New Testament. But it has a more significance than this because it is a love that is binding upon God. 
It is a self-limiting kind of love. And by that I mean it is a word that is based upon the covenant love of God. It is the love that God commits in him, within himself to you and to me and to the house of Israel. And so when we say his love, we're saying his covenant love. Variously translated, his enduring love. His steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new, how often? Every morning. Or listen to the way uh, Isaiah translates this. Um, same word as he writes in uh, Isaiah 54.10. I say he translates it, he wrote it. Listen to this because you'll catch it. The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but steadfast love, but kesed, shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. Ah, there is that word kesed, and expressed in covenant love. And that is the, the kind of relationship. It is a love within relationship that God has for his people. Now, you might think that uh, this passage is uh, too much fluff and not enough substance. I assure you it has plenty of substance. One of the joys of reading the Psalms is that the Psalms meet us where we live. Uh, Orrin Wiersbe was exactly right. In a little book he wrote, he wrote a lot of little books. <laughs> but this one is called Meet Yourself in the Psalms. Meet Yourself in the Psalms. And here you're going to meet yourself as you look at this psalm with me this morning. You'll find yourself somewhere. I ask you about a little self-diagnosis. What was on your mind and your heart as you came to worship today? I suspect you will find yourself somewhere in this psalm. And you'll realize that the words of God, His love endures forever, will help to meet the need that you came with this morning, whatever it is. Now he says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered me by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. But what can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Isn't it good to know that there is no enemy that you face that he, he God, does not have his foot on the neck of that trouble? <laughs> he is able to establish in your heart a victory before the battle is finished. The battle is still going to go, and you'll have to face your foes. But wouldn't it be good for you? I mean, it's like seeing the, um, the, the movie at the end. You know how this is going to end. And God is going to be triumphant. Now, this is not the only place in this passage where 
God, um, through the psalmist, is talking about the issue of, of the, the problem, the essence of the problem itself, because a little bit later he's going to say, I was at, almost at the point of death, but God brought me through. Many of us here have um, had a, a series of issues. Maybe we still have them. And we think, is my God able to bring, them, to bring me through this? I might say, whether by life or by death. I hope that you are not fearful of the end result. God has promised to be our deliverer. But some people are delivered in heaven of the ills that come their way. And isn't it interesting how, how large our issues loom to us? Um, I've been having an aggravating problem with my little finger, this crooked one. <laughs> I think I broke it last summer. And, and I was in a lot of pain. It, it felt like I was just, everywhere I went, it felt like I was leading the way with my finger. And uh, I, I just kept banging it. And, and, well, finally, um, my doctor wasn't too interested. My, the first doctor I saw interested in, he thought, well, grow up, son. Come on. Quit being a baby. Let's go. I mean, that's the kind of response I, I heard him say. He didn't use those words, but that's what I heard him say. And so uh, I said, next time I went to see him, I said, Doc, I said, you didn't do anything for my finger, and my finger really hurts. And that's my complaint today. And I I said, I think you need to recommend an orthopedic person. So I went to see an orthopedic person, and so we took the x-rays, and I I said, this is really bothering me. I mean, come on, on a scale of the world's problems, a bent finger doesn't rate really high, does it? But isn't that the way we operate? I mean, <laughs> and so the doctor said, um, okay, well, it's arthritis. I go, oh, man, that may be the end of my basketball days. I, I think maybe it was the bad knee. But um, And uh, she said, well, we, got, we can do two things. I, I'm, I, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, we can inject it with some cortisone and make it feel better, but it won't straighten it. Or I can straighten it permanently. And uh, I said, okay, what's that about? She says, we take a screw and screw it in the middle and, and, and we, we bend your finger and you, won't, you move it again, but it will be straight. I said, well, let's try the shot first. <laughs> so that, that worked... Not so bad. (laughs) But there are issues in our lives which we tend to exaggerate in in terms of their importance. And and we all kind of walk around from time to time like our little pinky is is the number one problem to solve the issue of world peace. We, We could all have that if I could just get this worked on. Now, it's not that God doesn't care. It's just that sometimes our problems have to resolve themselves into finding out what is most important. The writer here says, hey, my problem is not just a pinky problem. I was really close to death, and God would not let me die. 
He delivered me from death. Now, he says, the Lord is with me. He's my helper. And a little later we'll see uh, uh, verse 13. I, I, I was pushed back and, and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. Well, and then he injects the, uh, this thought. It comes across his mind and he says, you know, come to think of it, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put trust in princes or people. I, I marvel at my own um, humanity at times. Uh, isn't it make sense to us that, I mean it should make sense to us, that the one who created us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who says, my burden is light. Come on, put it on my shoulders. I can bear it. It's sometimes the last person we talk to about it. We get on the phone, we text it, we tweet it, we do, you know, it's uh, Facebook, it's whatever we do, and talk to the neighbors, that's the old-fashioned way. Um, <laughs> we tell everybody else about the issue before we just take it to God and plead our case with him. He'll, he can take it. That's one of the reasons why I like uh, Habakkuk so much in the Old Testament. The prophet who stands before God shaking his fist at God. Saying, God, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> look, look at how you're... These are your people, your own people whom you've redeemed. These are the people of your covenant love. And look how they're being mistreated. And look what you're doing over here to our enemy. You're promoting them. You're, you're giving them good rain and, 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 and good harvest. And, and they're beating us down. Don't you know? Don't you care? And I, you know, I, some of us are thinking, eh, this is a little serious. Don't you expect God to just go zap? <laughs> Enough of that. But he doesn't. You know, God has such a capacity to, to endure us, to put up with us. Forbear, that's the word. Aren't you glad God puts up with us? And no matter how puny or how large our problem is, he, he is able to bear it. And he doesn't zap Habakkuk. He listens to his case. And then he gives him a response that's not unlike what God gave to Job. Well, Job, I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's almost like well, some of the things that God allows us to put on his shoulder and say, you know, if it's really important to you that I give you an answer, I'll tell you when you get to heaven. And I used to think that I was going to have a, a, an appointment with God in heaven where he would actually take time to answer all my questions. And I could ask him all those why questions. And the older I've gotten, the more I understand that those why questions yeah, you know, just kind of fade away. They're really not that important. In the long run, in terms of eternity. Uh, but I am going to know in the purity of the light and rarefied air of heaven, a desire in my heart to worship Him. Now that the scriptures say we're going to be busy doing that for all eternity... 
So it, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like coming to church and having to endure a half hour, 45 minute sermon. The time will not be the issue. But being in the presence of God, that is going to be a wonderful experience for the believer. The psalmist says, My enemies swarmed around me like a bunch of bees buzzing around, like, like a burning thorn bush, just being consumed. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back, verse 13, about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now, if you don't know a song that goes with those, ta- those words, write one. <laughs> the Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. I tell you what, it'll, it'll change the shape of your problem. If you can give that back to God in praise and prayer. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Some of you might be thinking, you know, I've taken a few licks from the Lord's hand here. I've been set back. I've been set down. I've been set aside. I've been passed over. I need to be in a better place. And you indeed may need to be in a better place. But it is not unto death yet. You still have some opportunity in this side of of eternity to declare God, who is your enduring love, who is your strength and your song and your salvation. So do it. It will help us. So the psalmist says, Oh, open the open for me the gates. Now, you know, if you think about this psalm, it's in a psalm of ascent. What do you do when you're going to the temple? What do you what goes through your mind on the way to church? Put it in your context. Well, you're thinking, did I turn the oven off? Uh, did I leave the, the heat up? Uh, do you think that my slow cooker will go on to high speed and I'll come home to incinerated lunch? Um, you know, I wish my wife would not point out my faults on my way to church. Um, I, it's hard for me to get in the mood for worship. And she's right, unfortunately. <laughs> um, there's just all kinds of things that disturb us. And maybe it's getting the kids ready for church. Anybody ever had to deal with that? Uh, I remember one morning when uh, a family of five, five kids, um, the mother was just irate. She, she said, I got them all scrubbed and 
clean clothes for church? And I said, and? And she said, they got in the fireplace. <laughs> ashes to ashes. Oh, and so, and it's hard. Um, when, when you have setbacks like that, to get in the right frame of mind for worship, isn't it? But the psalmist says, oh, but think about God. Think, think about what you're doing. You're coming to the house of God. You are coming to praise Him. So open wide the gates of righteousness. This is how we approach God in righteousness. Get your heart right before Him. Make, make the way, make the path clear. I, I remember with what excitement I, I uh, got to uh, go to the ancient city of David on the southern exposure of the wall in Jerusalem. So the ancient city of David is not Bethlehem. It, it's, a, it's an area of old Jerusalem just outside the, uh, the Temple Mount. Excavations galore. And they had just finished uh, excavating the steps that led up to the triple Huldegate, H-U-L-D-A, Huldegate, uh, which was the ancient access to the temple in Jesus' time. And uh, the steps are sequenced so that you have a wide step and a narrow step, and a wide step and a narrow step. And, and the whole idea is that you cannot go up there la-di-da, um, you know, skipping your way to the top and, and without missing your step. You have to keep your eyes on the steps each step you take lest you slip and fall. They designed them that way so that we would be, uh, uh, you know, if we put ourselves in a place, so that the worshipers would be, um, be framed in the right mind, that they would watch their steps because they're going to someplace important. The temple was where they worshiped God. That was where the presence of God was, in the temple. And so, as we, as we come down this, this passage, we see, oh, wow. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This, this again, is mentioned in the New Testament as a fulfillment of who Jesus is. Whether it is the, the keystone that locks the, the Roman arch together and holds everything up, or whether it, it uh, is the foundation stone that is placed in the corner to support the, um, the load on the frame. Uh, the, the legend was that when the builders, uh, they didn't quarry the stone on the mount, and they didn't cut the stone there. It was, this was the sacred mount of God. They quarried it and cut it off and then put it together once they got it on site. And the, the, the legend was that there was a stone, an odd-shaped stone, that was, that was cut and cast aside because they couldn't figure out what it was for. And it wasn't until they got ready to drop it into place that they realized that this was a special stone with a special cutting that locked the entire structure together and gave it integrity. This was a stone that was rejected, and then God put it into place for them. And, and the New Testament writer says, ha huh? I know who that stone is. It's Jesus. He is the cornerstone. God has done this marvelous thing. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. 
And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Let this day be a reminder to you that this day is the day God has given you to rejoice and to be glad in it. Come before his presence with singing this day. Let him be your salvation and your song and your joy and your strength this day. This day is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And the psalmist continues, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. What is that? His love endures forever. Now what is the tie? As we wind this message down, what is the tie between our Palm Sunday remembrance of what Christ was doing and this passage. I mentioned earlier that Psalm 118 is the final reading of the Hallel on Passover. And we know that Jesus, having ridden into Jerusalem, on, in, celebrated on this day, this Palm Sunday day, with the the crowds of people laying palms. Uh, notice the text said bows in hand and waving these lalubs, these palm branches, and saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna in the highest. You can read about it in Luke chapter 19 and among others. But here is the, here's the twist on this. Instead of going up to the temple where the declaration of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as a reference to the individual worshiper, if you come to the temple, i.e., if, if you make the ascent to the temple, God will give his blessing to you. Now the people on Palm Sunday are giving the blessing of, of the Lord to Jesus, not in the temple, but to the one who is God tabernacled among us. (laughs) And it's not the last time we're going to hear this being said. Because on Thursday night of this week, of this Passion Week, Jesus is going to meet with his disciples in the upper room. And as they finish out the celebration of the Passover, Jesus takes the cup. If you... If you think it's confusing to, uh, uh, to understand in the scriptures, dig into um, why Luke has two cups. It's the ending of Passover. And the last reading of the Hallel, Psalm 118, is filling the room. And Jesus says, 
I will not take this cup again until I come into the kingdom. The blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is still ringing in his ears from Palm Sunday and from the reading of a Hallel. And then the scripture says that they went out from that place singing. What do you suppose they were singing? What is the most recent reference point? Could it be that they were singing in, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, this, this text, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even as they passed the temple and made their way up to the, uh, up to the Garden of Gethsemane, the expression of this psalm was in the air, in Jesus' heart and life. And what does this, how was this, this psalm bracketed? His love endures forever. Jesus could go to the cross. He could endure the shame. He could pay for your sin and, and mine because he believed that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And you can believe it too. It is stated by the scriptures. It is highly endorsed by our Lord who um, inspired the text and who proved it to be true. And here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Sing it with me, will you? And then that will be our closing prayer. Let's stand together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. And may his blessing be upon us this week. Because his love endures forever. Amen. You are dismissed.